Amen. Good evening. It's good to see so many of you here this evening. My name is Drew Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, and it's just fun to see so many come out tonight to celebrate with us. Uh, and so we are just so um, grateful for your being here. And I am freaking out because I couldn't find my notes. There they are. I was backwards in my book. I was literally having about to have a panic attack right there. <clears throat> here we go. Uh, we've read so many scriptures that I thought instead of uh, reading any more, uh, probably what we've done is sufficient. And I just want us to take into consideration what we've already read and just think of a few lessons from all of those texts, from that story that we've been telling. I don't want to dissect those verses as much as I want us to just sit in the midst of them and consider some of the implications. Uh, three implications in particular as we just prepare our hearts for the celebration of this holiday. And the first implication is, I think, just as we meditate on what we've already spoken of, is I think the magnitude of the claim that Christianity makes. God was born. God has come into the world. The eruption of heaven into this time and place that we inhabit. And by the time we get to Christmas Eve every year, I'm, I'm weary. It sounds like it shouldn't be the case, but I find myself weary of trying to find wise, ways to explain it. Now, there's so many things in Christianity that are so full of mystery and wonder that defy explanation. They are better stated. Sometimes the best theology is just stated. And so let me state the truth of Christmas and not try to explain it. Emmanuel has come. God with us. And I've said it again and again, and maybe just one more time for good measure, that if what these stories claim is in fact true, then it is the most important thing in the whole world. Now, if it's not true, it's not, it's not that not important at all. We should, we're wasting our time. We should stop having services like this. But the only thing that it can't be is just moderately true. It, don't, it can't be just a little bit true. So that it kind of becomes a hobby in your life or just one little part of the larger story of your life. Another way to say this is this, that there's only way, one way to believe. And that is to have your whole life rearranged by the magnitude of the thing you say you believe. There's a line in the old Rich Mullins song, Creed, that says, I believe what I believe. It's what makes me who I am. I did not make it. No, it's making me. And so if Christmas is true, it is a truth of such magnitude that when you believe, it begins to make you. It begins to remake you. All the other parts of your life, everything else, your identity, your relationships, your career, the way you spend your time and your money, the way you make decisions, all of it begins to flow from what you say you believe. And practically, that means that you cannot live simply the same kind of life as someone who doesn't believe what you believe. It's too big a truth for that. It's too disruptive. It's of such magnitude. And the single word in the scripture, in the text, that describes what I'm trying to say here is the word holy. And so the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and she says, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Holy, as in unlike anything the world has ever known or seen before. A birth unlike any other birth before or since, utterly incomparable. We sing every year at the service the song, O Holy Night. Right? Night like, unlike any other night. Night of such significance that it singles out from, every, from all the other nights the world has ever known. And so, these are holy things. And to believe such holy things is to be made holy by them. And that's the first implication. That if you believe what these texts, 
what Jeff has been reading to us, if you believe it to be true, you can't just go on living the same way as you were before. Everything has to come in line with the truth of it. It's of that magnitude. But secondly, there's a second implication, and that is that these texts encourage us to look toward the future and not just back into the past. Now, that might be disorienting to hear that, but there's a forward thrust to the season of Advent, and perhaps this year, 2020 more than any other in our lifetimes, this is welcome news. I say, farewell 2020. Good riddance. We're turning the page to the promise of better things in the new year. Can I get an amen? Okay, I figured that would get an amen from the church. But here's the thing, the sentimentalism and the nostalgia that characterize, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? That whole thing, it's actually the enemy of the kind of believing that I've just described. I mean, think about all those songs. We could sing so many of them. You hear them in the stores around Christmas time. They're all about olden days, happy golden days of yore, whatever yore means. <laughs> Getting back to the good old days, reliving your childhood, whatever it might be. You know, every year our family, we hang ornaments on our Christmas tree, which we get like the day after Thanksgiving so it can be in the house for as long as possible for the whole up until Christmas. And we, we have a family time together where we, where we put all the, the ornaments that we've collected over the years and we tell the stories that are associated with each ornament. It probably drives my children crazy. Uh, you know, we talk about what Ashley and I, Ashley, my wife and I, what our first Christmas was like when we pull out the, your first Christmas ornament that somebody gave us for our wedding gift you know we talk about the cute pictures of the kids when they were little on the ornaments that were art projects that are falling apart that we keep gluing back together you know from schools or how the ornament for Canaan's uh, very first Christmas was a tigger and how prophetic that was because he's turned out to be very tigger-like in his young adulthood and all of that and it's it's fun and it's you know all the nostalgia of it is great but in doing all of that we have to be careful that we don't begin to act like the dream that we're after is somehow behind us, that the way to happiness is to return to an idealized past of our childhood or the time when all the kids were little and everybody was home together and, and mama could control everything, right? Whatever it might be. Because in Christianity, salvation is not just something that's in the past. It's something that's been accomplished in the past, but it really is in the future of God. Accomplished in the past, but set in the future. We celebrate the Savior's coming. And I love, I love... I love that today and tomorrow we're reading the account of the crucifixion in our community while we're reading together. That is awesome. Brilliant. Because there can be no mistake about the child's mission. This child we've been reading about. His name was to be Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. On the cross, Jesus Christ would suffer death as the punishment for our sins to heal the relationship between God and man. And everything wrong in the world flows from that foul spring, so that now... God and sinners reconciled, as we sing, means not only that I can be right with God and you can be right with God through Jesus, but that in his reconciliation, uh, uh, the reconciliation he's accomplished, it means the reconciliation of all things, that the world is being healed. That in his death, in resurrection, death is beginning to work backwards, as C.S. Lewis would say. All of the sad things are coming untrue. It's true. It's happening. And it's interesting. In the intertestamental book of Enoch, which isn't a part of our scriptures, but interesting nonetheless, Gabriel was the angel whom God placed at the, garden, at the gates of the Garden of Eden. He was the one who was tasked with driving humanity out from the presence of God, from paradise. And now he returns 
to announce God's mighty reversal of sin and death. You see, on the day, the day that we celebrate Christmas every year is not significant because there's a historical connection to the actual birthday of Jesus. We can't be sure of that, but it is significant because it happens precisely at the time of year when the darkness begins to recede and the days start to grow longer. We've turned the corner to spring and summer. Now, Floridians kind of groan at that. Some of us don't be like, are you kidding me already? But for the rest of the world and the rest of the country, that's good news. For us, it doesn't mean so much. But it's significant nonetheless. The winter solstice marks the time when there is more darkness behind you than there is in front of you. And perhaps that's the best way to summarize the message of Christmas. The light is already shining. The day has already dawned. The darkness is fleeing before the light and very soon there will be no more night. There will be no more darkness. This is the language the Bible uses to describe our situation. Now, I hesitate to use this, I told the first service, but there is a, there's a movie with Keanu Reeves uh, called, <laughs> Jeff's laughing, don't laugh, man. <laughs> I got that in the first service too, but it's a movie called The Matrix, and I, it's, it was in 1999, so it's a little, you know, I would say it's an old movie, but it's not that old, but anyway, this, it's, it's a Christmas movie, if you didn't know that, right? Just like Die Hard and everything else are Christmas movies. But in, in, uh, in the movie, Keanu Reeves plays the Christ figure of the movie. He is the one, the chosen, the Messiah. And, uh, and up to the time of his coming, the good guys, the whole movie, for the first three quarters of the movie, it's the good guys running away from the bad guys. The bad guys have the upper hand. But then there's this decisive confrontation, this battle that takes place. And the hero, the, the one, is killed. But he doesn't stay dead. Now, I can't make this up. Okay. He rise, he's, he's raised from the dead. And in that moment, with his first heartbeat, everything is different. The whole storyline changes. From that, up to that moment, the good guys are running from the bad guys. But at that moment, for the rest of the movie, and actually for the rest of the, of the couple of movies after it, from that time on, the bad guys are now running from the good guys. Christ has come. That is the message of Christmas. And yet we still sing, O come thou long expected Jesus, and rejoice, o rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel, because we're still waiting for him to come again. And when he does, and only then, will all the things that we already sing and proclaim be true. What a foretaste of deliverance we sing, right? How unwavering our hope, Christ in, in power resurrected as he will be when he comes. Um, Will Willimon says this, our lives are eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. In the meantime, which is the only time the church has ever known, we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know. And that makes us different. This, today and tomorrow, all that we're doing with all of the excitement and the joy, this is just the meantime Folks, this is still the meantime. But what is it that we know that the world about the world that the world does not yet know about itself? We know that the world, the cosmos, with all of its oppressive evil and terror and the principalities and power of sin and death, all of that is on the way out. Jesus Christ is the once and future king, and he has come. And because he's come, we know he'll come again. And we look forward to that day. But then the third implication as we try to wrap up here. And the third implication is that it, in the meantime, 
It is God's grace and not human striving that pushes things forward. Human effort moves nothing. Born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. It's grace. I've been reading the sermons of Fleming Rutledge this Advent, and one line in particular stopped me cold, and I just thought, oh. She says, at the heart of human life, there is an incapacity to make things turn out right. And I thought, amen, that is the truest thing I've ever heard in my life. At the heart of human life, there is an incapacity to make things turn out right. The Bible shows that human history without God is a story of human wickedness just going around and around on itself. Listen to her words. She says, humanly speaking, nothing is moved. All the technology and science in the world has not been able to stop people from hating each other and killing each other. All the psychotherapy and the Prozac that we can throw at the problem has not been able to make the Christmas dinner turn out right. (laughs) I just find that so funny. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. She says, if the Christmas dinner turns out right, it is not our doing. It is the grace of God. And I chuckled when I read that because it's so true. But these texts, these texts that we've just read, they are a grace intervention. All that happens is not from, God, not from man, but from God. The people are minding their own business. And all of a sudden, right, didn't you love, I don't know who's, Patrick could probably, I don't know whose voice it was, but, the, but the, one of the kids was like, then all of a sudden, like right there in the room, right? I mean, you could just hear the wonder and the astonishment, and that's it. All of a sudden, there are the angels announcing that God is breaking in. And so Michael Reeves puts it like this. He says, the virgin birth shows that salvation must be of God. It is an almighty no to all works righteousness. That human history is the same thing over and over and over again. Nothing moves. We've been reading about that in Ecclesiastes together. But here in what we've read, God is moving. And when he moves, things begin to move. And that is the essential truth of Christianity. Religion says you move towards God. But Christianity says, no, God has moved towards you. He has come down. You don't climb up to him through moral striving and resume building, he has to come down to you, and he has. Because the way forward is his doing. It's his power. It's his grace. So here's how the next 24 to 12 to 24 hours are going to go. Okay, Let's just acknowledge the truth, the elephant in the room. Moms, you make it all happen. Okay? I mean, all the dads... Can't wait to see what the kids are going to get for Christmas tomorrow morning around the tree. They just can't wait. That may be a little unfair. So let's don't, let's don't throw the dads completely under the bus. But at best, dads, let's say you do 5%, okay? But the kids, see, the kids, they, they're going to go home and go to sleep, maybe, and then wake up and it's like magic. There will be presents under the tree and the stockings will be full and food will be ready and they didn't do any of it. It's a miracle. (laughs) Right? And the only contribution they make is to enjoy all of it. And that's Christianity. It's all his work. It's his life. It's his death. His resurrection, his reign, and his return. He does it all. You know that prophecy of Isaiah that we've been memorizing and, and well been thinking about together, it says this. It says it ends all that God, for us to us, the child is born and all of that. It ends with these words. The zeal 
of the Lord of hosts will do this. That leaves us with only one thing to do. All we can do is add our amen, right? Because it's grace. And so church, add your amen. Amen. Let's pray together, would you, as we continue to celebrate. So Father, we thank you for your gracious heart, your generous heart that has sent the Lord Jesus into the world for us. It truly is a cause for celebration and rejoicing. And so would you help us? Would you send your spirit so that we could just relax into and lean into your grace that is so prevalent, that we could, that we could just add the only contribution we can make, and that is our enjoyment, our joy, and our hope in all that you've done for us. What great news. Christianity is good news, not good advice. Good news. So help us to believe it in our hearts and then cause it to show up on our faces, we pray, even as we sing and celebrate in these last few moments together. In Jesus' name. So receive his benediction. These words are yours because of all that this child that we've been talking about has come and has accomplished for you. Go uh, with this resting upon your hearts. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Go in his peace.